Well, good morning to you. It's Sunday the 31st of January and you found yourself at the St John's Southbourne uh, Virtual Church Service. Uh, my name is Matthew Luff. I'm the vicar at St John's uh, with West Thorny. And also just welcome to you if you're touching base for the first time or if you're a regular. Uh, it's lovely to be part of something together, reminding ourselves uh, that we are joined by God's love for us and for one another. So it's exciting stuff, isn't it, during these times. Uh, today we're starting a new series following on our work in looking at the kingdom of God, changing the way in which we look at the world around us uh, and thinking about it more in godly terms. We're now going to have a look at the uh, book of Nehemiah, which is an Old Testament book, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, just a couple of little bits of housekeeping before we begin proper. Um, I suppose most of you will have heard that Mark Everson uh, sadly passed away and died uh, last uh, weekend and his funeral will be on Tuesday uh, the 23rd of February. Um, it's going to be a small family affair but I know that the family are asking that we uh, stream the service so we will send you details as soon as we can uh, to get hold of that but thank you so much for all of the uh, lovely comments that have been put up uh, on Southbourne Association and for the love generally uh, that's been shown amongst the community for him a key character exciting character and he'll be much missed by all of us I'm sure. Um, if you are touching base with us for the first time, uh, you can also, um, if you want to follow on, uh, we're looking, we've got some alpha groups running at the moment, uh, simple, uh, simple discussions, there's no daft questions and we hope to give answers that we can about the why we have hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, as Christians that's really important and uh, also if you're a member of house groups uh, you will regularly of course receive copies of notes to help you follow up uh, these studies but I, I noted uh, with uh, Jill Prosser that quite a number of people uh, and have sort of fallen through their net or aren't in a group at the moment and so we've emailed uh, uh, we've emailed those we think aren't in a group and asked if you want to be in one great uh, if you want to join an existing one uh, that would be good if you wanted to start a new one we think we can help you work on that uh, but if you just want to receive the notes um, and so you can study at home with your with, with, by yourself or with somebody else at home uh, then do let us know and if there's somebody who's missed out somebody you think we've missed off that list uh, who you know would benefit from belonging to a group um, then please uh, let us know remember with uh, with uh, zoom and all of the other kind of other other options are available uh, all of those things uh, we know that we can meet up where whereas before distance might have been a factor so uh, let's uh, let's continue to encourage one another uh, through this time it's not going to go away quickly uh, and we know that we have a hope uh, that goes beyond even this so it's important to hold on to that any things any questions like that do let us know I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 111 to help us think about how to press forward. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate and he provides food for those who fear him, and he remembers his covenant forever. Heavenly Father, thank you that the psalmists understood your character. They could see the world around them, listen to the history of your work with your people, and put their trust in you. We pray that we will continue to place our trust in you, in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, 
for our sins and for our life. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems right to me that we should begin by just acknowledging perhaps the sort of week we've had. Perhaps we've been less than Christian around our house. Perhaps we've struggled a bit. Uh, perhaps uh, it's getting tougher. And those little, those, little, those little cracks are now gaping fissures of open wounds and chaos uh, that, we, that we admit to other people. So uh, it's really good. Let's start this week uh, by just laying ourselves before God and his mercy. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things that we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us sinners. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises, declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a disciplined, righteous and godly life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. May the God who loved the world so much that he sent his Son to be our Saviour, forgive us our sins, and make us holy to serve him in the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now I'm going to hand over to Lynn, who's reading uh, the first part of the reading that, we've been, that I've set for this week. Morning. The reading today is the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's Prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you, we have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there 
and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thank you very much, Lynn. And now I'm going to hand over to the singing group who've prepared for us. Lord, you have my heart.
Uh, can I just say thank you uh, to Mike and all the team? Uh, it's really good to have a reminder, isn't it, to, to worship. When we can't worship, there are those who are still encouraging us and calling us to remember and sing God's praises. So thank you very much for that. Let's begin this uh, little opening talk into Nehemiah chapter one. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this story uh, about you and your people. And we thank you that we are your people. And we pray that the things that you've set before us to remember to do, to, to remember to be and to remember your faithfulness will be with us uh, this morning. May your word speak to each of us uh, according to your will. Amen. So we are picking up a series on the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is very much known as uh, a rebuilder of the kingdom. In fact, somebody emailed me to say, wasn't he a bricklayer? Uh, very helpful, that, uh, because he did reset and relay uh, some important foundations. And it's important to think about those sorts of things. It, it seems opportune at this time. And I notice quite a lot of churches are looking at Nehemiah uh, at the moment uh, because we have things to think about. We have things that uh, we've probably we're unable to do and there may be things that we stop doing and there may be new things that we um, have found were really you know were really powerful and working for us so uh, it's a good time to reflect but I'm not going to spend this time um, talking about the things I want to do and the things that are important and laying a ground strategy quite frankly at the moment I'm just thinking one day at a time like all of us um, so that's important but there are some important things that are work for us every day that come uh, from the story of Nehemiah. And I really think those are helpful, both in this time, in this in this sort of era, this what's going on at the moment, but also bro more broadly in the life of the church. First of all, it's, us it's usually helpful to get a rough idea of, of when things are happening. So if you imagine a long plank uh, of uh, uh, along which the, the Bible was sort of spread out, um, we've got the revelation at the you know the far end. We haven't got there yet, and we've got the book of Genesis, and that's right at the beginning. We can't you know can't reach back to that. Where in the where in the story is is you know is the story of Nehemiah because it comes in at a strange time, and it's not an area that a lot of people look at. Well, let's say uh, let's imagine that it belongs with a group of books, um, particularly also Ezra and the book of Esther, and it's a period of renewal after the exile, after the fall of Jerusalem. If you were looking for a date, this specific story starts about 446 BC. So it's about two thirds, it's over halfway along our grain of scripture, our plank if you like. It's, it's sort of getting there, it's, it's on the way. Uh, something has happened uh, and I'm going to just fill in a few blanks there and I'll do that in more detail uh, for the home groups. But briefly, after King David and then King Solomon, who represented the height of Israel's uh, representation of the people of God, uh, that was the high point of their history, they sadly fell into a civil war and they split gradually into two kingdoms. There was Israel in the north, which consisted of 10 tribes, uh, and they went their own way and they kind of did their own thing, really. They started introducing other gods and other kinds of worship. And you can read about that uh, in the book of Kings. And in, in Jesus's time, this area was, of course, called uh, Samaria. And, um, and it was where the Samaritans lived. And so they were kind of distant cousins of the Jews. Um, but 
After Samaria fell, the northern kingdoms were there. There was also another pair of kingdoms in the south called Judah and or now Judea, you know, if you like, if that was the New Testament. And basically what happened was that the 10 northern kingdoms of Samaria or Israel were then conquered by the Assyrians uh, in their expansion uh, around the area. Years later, and that was in the seventh, uh, that was in the eighth century. Uh, in the sixth century BC, the Babylonians came around, and they were even more aggressive with their expansion. And they conquered the Assyrian Empire, and they conquered Judah, and they started to expand from there. Um, but that was <laughs> that was then met by the Persians, who conquered the Babylonians, and it all got, uh, and everything was really quite a, a bit of a mess. And what we have within that time was that the Babylonians decided to take away the cream, if you like, of Judah's society. And that's where we get the book of Daniel from uh, and, and sort of use them for their own advantage. But they were quite aggressive about the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The Persians had a very different policy and they were quite, they were quite happy for people to worship their own gods. And so they were willing to allow people, groups of people to return. Some of the people had returned already to Jerusalem to see if they could, what state the city had been left in. And in fact, I think Ezra uh, records an earlier venture to do that. But they'd met opposition about rebuilding Jerusalem. And that's the news that seems to come back to Nehemiah at the beginning of this story. This all sounds very complicated, but it will make sense in the end. Don't worry. Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's reflection, though, uh, is this, this is really bad news. Uh, it's terrible that, you know, what had been the glory of Israel's empire, the centre of worship of Yahweh, uh, which included the temple, uh, was now falling into disrepair and disgrace. And we read that that's terrible. Uh, it's a strange word to use. It was falling into disgrace. It was, it was not even being used, able to be used. So uh, a difficult time. Uh, for Nehemiah and difficult things for him to hear. And he's, so it makes his response quite powerful, doesn't it? Because if you read your Bible, if you read when he hears this in verse four, we read, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. A really powerful response, wasn't it? He was so moved by what had happened that he, 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 it just stopped him in his tracks. It'd be very strange, I think, for us to stop what we were doing. I think there are moments in our lives where we just do put stuff on hold and the loss of a loved one is, is, is clearly one of those. And there are lots of people having to do that at the moment. But the sense of grief for something that, you know, was kind of sort of part of his history, but he really felt it. Uh, and I think that's really important for us to remember. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to stop and, 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 and just grieve over these things. He wasn't, didn't feel compelled uh, uh, to um, just keep on going and, and put on a brave face. He, he wept, he mourned, he fasted. People would have known he was upset. And I wonder if we can ever imagine or remember a time when we, we really took something that seriously, that we put time aside. In fact, do we put time aside uh, to lay things before God? It's really important. And then we have, and then he, after this period of mourning, he feels compelled to pray. And it's, it's a lovely prayer with lots of, uh, of important threads in it. And I hope to, you know, I'll share a lot of those with your home groups. But a couple of things I really want to focus on here. Um, 
this lovely prayer, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. What a really powerful uh, prayer. And I just want to draw out three or two or three things from that that I think are really helpful for us. And the first of which is we've got these three big reasons for hope. I mean, at the moment, our hopes are are wrapped up in you know, when will I when will I get the vaccine and when will this finally be over? And I think that's important. But there is always a hope beyond all of these things. At the end of the day, I'm afraid we're still mortal folks, uh, and there were, there will be a day. There will be a day when we pass from this place uh, and we meet with the Lord Jesus in in, in judgment to to meet with him. But what we can draw upon is that this hope that God has for us, God's qualities uh, in, in the situation that Nehemiah is in, go beyond that. Notice how he says, great and awesome God, God of heaven. He acknowledges from the outset just God's enormity, the scale of things with which God is concerned, who, for this scale of things for which he can deal, the scale of which he is in control, he is sovereign, he is over all of these things. He's not God of sort of the sky, he's God of heaven, he's above everything that they could think of. And I think that's really important because he, it enables Nehemiah to appeal to God who has a different perspective on things than he might have. He says, I want, to, I want to see what you're going to do about this. I want to bring you in on this. We do that every time we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your, will, your kingdom come, your will be done. I want, I want to see your things come into these situations. So it's important to have that perspective uh, about what God could do. That God has this overarching oversight of everything. The second thing, the second reason for hope is God's character. Listen to this, this lovely little prayer, you know, that um, who keeps his covenant of love. Well, there's two, two or three really important things there, aren't there? He keeps his covenant. He is a faithful God. He's faithful to his promise to love his people. He's faithful to his promise to love his people. And his promise is to is, is covenant that he has with us is a covenant of love. The covenant that he had with his people used the Hebrew word chesed, which is about loving kindness of God. It's about his his commitment to look after them and take care of them as his people. And I think that's really important too, that sometimes we get sort of wrapped into a prayer life, which is a list of things that we think are really important for God to sort of do. And then we wander away and we forget that he's actually interested in who we are and how we are. And I think that's important to bear in mind. And I'll talk a little bit about that later on. But the third thing, you know, is that God's character, you know, that, that God's character is such that he's, he's involved with these people. He's involved with us. He wants to be. His, the covenant that he had with Israel was that their concerns were also his concerns, that his reputation was wrapped up with theirs, that he's, they were part of his plan and he was the one executing it. So he's got a role to play and he's bigger. It's bigger than any ideology uh, or any kind of political system that we can think of. And he's based on love, not power. His, 
His covenant share, means that he's sharing his concerns. Their concerns were his concerns. Because at the root of this is the destruction of Jerusalem. It didn't just mean the wall, it meant the temple. And that meant that actually there was no place for the people of God to find a way of expressing their sorrow for their sins and find a place of any kind of promise of repentance or atonement. They, they couldn't worship, they couldn't be the kinds of people that uh, he wanted them to be. And so they could not come to him and he could not enjoy uh, being with them. There was a, a real um, sense of, of drama there and something missing. How does he resolve it? Well, Nehemiah's prayer will lead him to, uh, to sort of take action, but he acknowledges part of their history, their, their joint history and, and the human failing in that history. He acknowledges it not just of the people of the past, but also himself and his family, that actually we've all got a part to play in this. It's not just uh, the people of the past who are affected. We, we pick up some of the broken pieces and we think that that's, that's OK. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to come back and, and have a clean slate and a fresh start. And he implores God's kindness, verse 9, towards those who return to him. Isn't that wonderful that there's, a, there's an enormous, there's a, just this great relief, isn't there, that we can come to God and say, you know, I haven't got a clue what's going on. I don't know how to do it. I'm lost. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, lockdown three is doing that to all of us. You know, it's getting tougher. It's getting tougher. And I know that you know, lots of people, myself included, are finding it, huh, you know, I'm not as strong as I thought. And it's important to recognise that. But what we can do is we can implore God. We can come to him and say, I need some help here. I need a, I need some, I need a start. I need something, some, some of us getting out of bed in the morning. I need something to move me. I need, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your hopes. I need your promises. I need your love. And that's really important. All of this draws Nehemiah's great Lord prayer uh, to a head where he's clearly got an idea of what he's going to do. Uh, and we read that he is cupbearer to the king. So something uh, that he's planning to do, he asks for the Lord to give him success. He lays this whole thing in front of God and says, would you help me achieve this for you? I think that's really honest, isn't it? He's acknowledged our, uh, who God is. He's acknowledged our, our weakness and, and actually our, you know, what right do we have to uh, call on him? except he wants us to, except he calls us to. He wants to be their God. He wants to be our saviour. And that's something that we overlook too. And so Nehemiah calls on him to say, well, will you give me success in this, in, in this decision I've taken? I hope it will help uh, move things forward. Well, I want to draw uh, stumps there uh, for, for a moment and just think about what that means for us here, because it's important to see where, where do we place God? One of the really important things about this prayer straight away is that Nehemiah sees that God is bigger than the problem. He trusts that the king of heaven, the God of heaven, great and awesome, is bigger than the problem that they're facing, which is restoring a city. I mean, we would look at restoring our community and go, where do we start? But Nehemiah says, I'm going to give the, I'm going to go straight away. I'm going to go to God with this. He, God is bigger than the problem. God is bigger than the situation we are all in, that you are in. He's bigger than coronavirus. 
and we need to we need to call on him in our lives and for our communities and for our cities and for our nations to bring around his grace to bring around a turn to bring a turnaround so it's important that we place god as bigger than the problem it might be that your prayers have been very sort of you know <laughs> looking inward at the moment and actually our resource is, is god he's the one who's who's called us who's rescued us in jesus christ so it's important that we look to him for our salvation not not just trust on ourselves so maybe you want to pray lord right now i feel that i know you are so i ask humbly could i do these things lord right now i feel but i know that you so i ask nehemiah's conviction is that his relationship with god is going to be the thing that sees things through. And we need to remember our relationship with God and just how big and powerful it is. Central to this prayer is the love of God. There's no love in the universe greater than the love of God for his people. There is no heart more willing to receive those who turn to him than God's. And it, we sort of sell ourselves short. We sell him short when we say, oh, well, he's not going to be bothered with my problems. Of course he is. Of course he is. There's another issue here, which is about the wall, actually, which is what Nehemiah focuses quite a lot on. And I know that other members of the team are going to pick some of those things up. But the, the wall is one of three things that I help identify uh, Israel as a nation. It's about national identity. It's about the identity of God's people. And we find that the temple, of course, is one of those things. Uh, that identifies them as God's people. This is where they worship. This is where the Holy of Holies is. This is where we can bring our sins, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. We can bring our sins and have them atoned for. We can be reminded that God will forgive us. That's important. The temple was one of those parts of this restoration. It's one of those things that the people held in their identity. I wonder what things you would say were your identity. We've kind of lost that a bit. We're not the people who go to St John's Church at the moment. So how do we acknowledge, how do we share our identity as Christians? The second thing is the law. It's going to play a huge part in defining how they lived. Remember, they'd lost the book of the law. And King Josiah, just before, shortly before Jerusalem was sacked, King Josiah was one of the kings who recovered the book of the law and sort of said, oh, well, we should have, had, we should have been sticking to this all along. This would have been helpful. How is God's word going to sort of help help sustain us at the moment? It's important to hold on to those things. But the intriguing thing is the wall was also a symbol of their separateness. They were a separate group of people. And the part of the purpose of rebuilding the wall was that it would enable the people to worship and share the Sabbath in peace without being attacked by their enemies. They were pretty much surrounded by their enemies most of the time. So it helped them keep their distinctiveness. And what we find, as um, I don't want to sort of ruin other people's thoughts, but what we find is that there is opposition to this, that people aren't happy with somebody coming in and claiming certain things about what God is like and what he's not like and what he, what he wants and what he doesn't want. And that would have reopened wounds in the history of Israel. So that's important. Nehemiah's prayer is to enable him to begin to rebuild the things that matter to the people, to call them to follow the one true God, Yahweh. Uh, and it begins with the recognition of the issue and God's willingness to help. Learning that God is more willing to help than we are to ask is uh, can be a lifetime's lesson. 
Sometimes we pick it up far too late. But if you haven't realised it, God is more willing to help us than we are to ask him. And we need to think about that. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The writer is talking about Jesus, who is able, I mean, he is able, something we're not able to do, to save completely. That, that word is literally to the uttermost, to the, to, to the nth degree, keep on going, to the perfection, to the conforming of his likeness. Not stopping halfway, not saying, okay, that'll do, but all the way. Jesus is concerned for all of us, all of our being, to the uttermost. If there's a bit of us that isn't right, he wants to help us with it. And that's something that we need to hold in, in, our, in our hearts and say, I have a saviour who is so interested in restoring me that, that I shouldn't really resist asking him to help. And yet we do. But I don't want you to. I don't think it's good for us. He doesn't do a half a job. It wouldn't be honouring to him. It wouldn't, it wouldn't reflect him well and it wouldn't reflect do us any good. He wants to do the whole thing. And he's always living to intercede for his people. So we need to maintain that perspective. We need to maintain that idea, that remembrance, that within that wall, within that distinctiveness, was something really unique. It was this place where that sins could be brought and truth could be taught. And that's really, really helpful. And in Jesus Christ, we find our sins have been dealt with and that law has been fulfilled and we can hold on to our life with Christ uh, to keep us uh, in the in the palm of his hands as his people. And he, he, he juggles. He, he wants to keep us there. Uh, but we need to we need to remember that that's what he wants to do. So let's remember that however uh, overwhelming it might seem, however dis discouraging it might it, fe it might feel. Uh, we have a God who is interested to help us uh, because he hears, he sees the problem and he wants to help. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the story of Nehemiah. We pray that throughout this little book, we are going to find all sorts of wonderful things about your grace and your love towards us. We thank you that it culminates in a picture of Jesus Christ, his willingness uh, to, to meet us at our greatest point of need, our sins, and bring us the life you have promised in your word. So, Father, we pray for ourselves and one another that we would continue to put our trust in you. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and for ever. Amen. I'm going to hand over now to Sue McNeil, who's going to pray for us. Thank you to Andrew Bloxham for suggesting the idea of using Psalm 103 as a daily prayer. O oh, my soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
O my soul, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Thank you, Lord, for all the many things that we have that we can bless you for, for our families, for our church fellowship, our health and wealth, and for the NHS and for vaccines and many other things we can think of. For you, Lord, forgive all our iniquities. Lord, we are very sorry that we often forget those in other countries and in the UK who are poorer than us. Please help us not to be selfish with all that we have. For the Lord heals our diseases. Lord, please would you heal those who have COVID, both in hospital and at home. Lord, too, we remember those who are ill with other conditions at this time. And just in a moment of silence, we name them before you. It is you, Lord, who redeem our lives from destruction. Lord, please save us from the COVID be that by vaccination or by your divine intervention, Lord. And Lord, for those who don't know you, help us to signpost them to you so that they too will be saved from destruction. It is you, Lord, who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. And it is you, Lord, who satisfies our bodies and souls with such good things. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet by showing loving kindness and tender mercies to those that we meet each day. Please bless those who are using the food supplies in church each day and also the free food initiative that's happening on Thursday morning. By this and by other ways, Lord, we hope that their strength and ours and spirit is renewed and refreshed like that of a soaring eagle. Uh, thank you very much, Sue, uh, and uh, just look forward to um, keeping us going uh, with prayer. Just remind us of that need to pray for one another and pray for the church. Uh, that it would continue to shine a light in all sorts of different ways. You, you can see today that I'm recording as dusk is setting, uh, so the light is sort of drifting in a little bit, um, uh, drifting away from me a bit. Sorry, I'm just going to make sure I'm not uh, there. Um, just something I want to share with you as a church, which is really important. Um, during the course of this year, uh, the Church of England is released, has released a, a teaching paper called Living in Love and Faith. It's really, really important because we need to acknowledge uh, some of the things, some of the issues within the Church of England and actually some of our part in, in making it harder uh, for uh, homosexual people in particular to um, be part of the church. Um, that said, you know, there are things that um, may go you know, beyond what we are happy to sort of consider to be uh, a realistic uh, view. And so I want to share from the outset uh, a short video which uh, from the Church of England Evangelical uh, Council, uh, of which I'm part by being a member of the Diocesan Evangelical Fellowship. So that's a lot of words. Um, but it's important just to a reflect on within this video. There are things that we need to reflect on uh, and say, yeah, actually, we had a we had a part in being unkind. 
Um, but also some things that maybe we ought to say, hang on a minute, where are we going with this? So I'm going to share that link. I'm not asking you to watch it, but if you want to watch it, uh, it'll be there. Uh, and it'll be important um, um, as we try to explore uh, these issues uh, together during the course of this year. Thank you uh, for being you know, being <laughs> prepared to sort of sit through and listen to us uh, this morning. I'm just going to finish. Uh, Mike uh, Prosser uh, has put together a great Is Thy Faithfulness. Thank you very much, Mike and team.
as we uh, draw things together, I do hope to see you at coffee at uh, 11.15 on Sunday mornings. Uh, we've got I Wonder tonight, uh, and we'll be sort of chewing over our, that journey through the book of Acts, looking at a little bit further along that plank, what happened when Jesus uh, came, inspired his disciples, uh, and then left the church uh, to carry on in his name. Uh, so that's really important. So I'm going to just leave you with these uh, these words from the back end of Hebrews chapter 13. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. It, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See you soon. Stay safe.